Wall Street does not like to hear the word trade war. Well, too bad, Wall Street. You bought them. You own them. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 98.90.7 FM in LA, up in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast, on Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, and Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and of course, in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe. Every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Detour Talk, and many other fine affiliate partners, both terrestrial and internet, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Two are dead after what appears to have been the 19th school shooting of this young year on Friday as the terrorist-enabling NRA's Republican Party continues to find new ways to take absolutely no action that might curb either school shootings or our much larger national gun death epidemic that takes some 32,000 lives per year. Police uh, warned the public on Friday not to confront a 19-year-old man. Once again, yes, a 19-year-old man suspected of fatally shooting two people on Friday at a Central Michigan University residence hall saying he is considered dangerous and likely still in the area as we go to air today. Investigators said neither victim was a student and described the shooting as a family-type domestic situation. Police did not confirm, would not confirm, a Detroit Free Press report earlier today citing unnamed sources that said that the suspect, James Eric Davis Jr., had fatally shot his parents. When they came to pick him up for spring break, the school, which has about 23,000 students, urged everyone on campus to take shelter. Uh, Police say that the uh, suspected shooter was taken to a hospital on Thursday night by campus police because of a drug-related health problem, possibly an overdose. No other details about him were released. The shooting occurred on the last day of classes before spring break at the Mount Pleasant campus, which is about... Um, 70 miles north of Lansing. The school posted an alert Friday morning on social media about shots being fired 
at uh, Campbell Hall, an automated phone message went out to uh, students in the surrounding community. Students and staff in Mount Pleasant uh, were told not to leave nine different buildings in the school district there. Visitors also weren't being allowed to enter. So just another day in the NRA GOP's America, I guess. But Donald Trump has uh, come up with a novel new way to avoid discussing that problem, along with all of his other problems in a White House that, as we discussed on yesterday's program, is absolutely ripped with personnel chaos, policy disaster, and ever-tightening legal nooses, I suppose. More on all of that in a moment. First, let's say hello to Desi Doyen. Hey. Hi, Desi. Hi. Uh, In one of the very few areas where the Trump agenda seems to be uh, somewhat successful, and I put that word in uh, quotes, successful, essentially gutting our very popular environmental protections, EPA Chief Scott Pruitt is now citing the Bible to justify killing the climate and harming children, apparently. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, a fun boy. justification there. I hope the Pope doesn't hear about that. Uh, Pruitt versus the Pope coming up in our gr- latest Green News report a little bit later in the show. Oh, and uh, ExxonMobil and Russia are breaking up? <laughs> yes, yes, they are. So sad. All right. Let's start here today. Uh, well, I think Jake Tapper put it well uh, on uh, on CNN. You have that that clip here that sort of sets up uh, the past week and maybe the upcoming week. This past week has been different. And quote, something is very wrong. That advisors are scared. The president is spiraling, lashing out, out of control. The president actually tweeting today, quote, trade wars are good and easy to win. One friend of President Trump's told CNN that Hope Hicks' departure would send the president into a, quote, tailspin, which, of course, prompts the question, she hasn't even left yet. If this isn't a tailspin, what is it? Good question, Jake. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of ominous. That's kind of ominous indeed, but that is where we are. Stephanie Rule, financial uh, journalist, tweeted on Wednesday night, furious over Attorney General Jeff Sessions, the fight between Chief of Staff John Kelly and and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and White House Communications Director Hope Hicks's sudden departure, an apoplectic Donald Trump decided to take aim at China through tariffs on steel. Unfortunately, she writes, he missed his target and crushed the stock market instead. The Dow continued its tumble on Friday, at one point uh, down some 350 points after its 420-point plunge on Thursday in response to Trump's ill-considered scheme to launch huge tariffs on foreign steel and aluminum and likely launch a worldwide trade war along with it if he actually goes through it. And that's a big if. The Dow ended up closing down some 1,200 points for the week on Friday amid the chaos that Trump is now imposing on world markets for some reason. And in truth, when this happened on Thursday, Thursday morning, and he started talking about these these, uh, steel and aluminum tariffs, I really wasn't even going to cover it because I figured, oh, this is just something that is not going to happen. It's something that Trump is going to say and that he's not actually going to do. And we don't know if he is actually going to do it or not at this point. But the effect that it, the ripple effect that has already had on the markets and um, on the, our, our allies worldwide 
uh, and on his own party is just incredible. Yeah, it's already having that ripple effect that yep. you mentioned. And, you know, to me, it seems like, oh, things were going badly. So he was just creating a diversion. Quick, do something. And this was the thing he chose. But as you say, whether it comes true or not, whether he actually follows through or not, pretty is, is pretty immaterial because the effects are already happening. And he's already, yeah, making things worse, it seems. Uh, as the New York Times describes, for 13 months in the Oval Office and in an unorthodox business career before that, Donald Trump thrived on chaos, using it as an organizing principle and even a management tool. But now the costs of that chaos are becoming starkly clear in the demoralized staff and policy disarray of a wayward White House. The dysfunction was on display on Thursday in the president's introduction of tariffs on steel and aluminum imports. The previous day, Trump Trump's chief economic advisor, Gary Cohn, warned the chief of staff, John Kelly, that he might resign if the president went ahead with the plan, according to people who were briefed on the discussion. Cohn, a former Goldman Sachs president, had lobbied fiercely against the measures. His threat to leave came during a tumultuous week in which Trump suffered the departure of his closest aide, Hope Hicks, and the effective demotion of his senior advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was stripped of his top security, uh, top secret security clearance. Trump was forced to deny through an aide that he was about to fire his national security advisor, General H.R. McMaster. When White House aides arrived at work on Thursday, they had no clear idea of what Trump would say about trade in this meeting that he had uh, set up with steel and aluminum executives. The White House uh, said only that he was going to listen to their concerns, and it seemed to signal that Cohn had won the day, had held off the tariffs that uh, he was so worried about. Yet at the end of a photo session, when a reporter asked Trump about the measure, he confirmed that, yes, the United States would announce next week that it is imposing long-term tariffs of 25 percent on steel, 10 percent on aluminum. The White House has not even completed a legal review of the measures. The Times notes Trump's off-the-cuff opening of a trade war rattled the stock market, enraged Republicans, left Cohn's future in doubt at the White House. Cohn, who almost left last year after Trump's response to a white national nationalist march in Charlottesville, Virginia, indicated he was waiting to see whether Trump would go through with the tariffs according to people familiar with his thinking. Well, the rest of the world, including Donald Trump's own party, are not waiting to see what will happen before expressing their outrage publicly at this ill-considered scheme. Republicans pounced on the plan to uh, slap tariffs of 25% on imported steel and 10% on imported aluminum, warning that it will lead to a trade war and leave Americans, uh, American consumers paying the price. Senator Pat Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania, that's steel country, remember, said, according to NBC, that, quote, new huge tariffs on all kinds of imported steel is a big mistake that will increase costs on American consumers, cost our country jobs, and invite retaliation from other countries. Other Republicans in Congress broke rank with the uh, president in and what uh, NBC describes as an unprecedented uh, way with one another, one after another coming forward during the during the day to caution about the dangers of tariffs and plead with Trump to hold off on any action. Senator Mike Lee, 
Republican of Utah said that Trump's tariffs would be a huge, quote, job killing tax hike. He's playing the job killing card. You know that <laughs> Republicans are serious when they slap job killing onto anything that and 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 the tax cut uh, tax hike card. Key players on Capitol Hill, including House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Finance Committee Chair Orrin Hatch of Utah, were uh, not given any heads up at all, apparently, about Trump's tariff announcement. Usually, uh, legislative leaders like them are briefed in advance of such a major change of policy, which um, somewhat underscores your point, Desi Doyen, that uh, he just pulled this out of his rear end to try yeah. to avoid uh, everything else that was yeah. going on. Quick, create a diversion. Yep. A spokesman for Ryan said the speaker is hoping the president will consider the unintended consequences of this idea and look <laughs> at other approaches before moving forward. Yeah, that'll happen. Uh, yeah. This uh, has exposed, apparently, the infighting inside the White House between the free trade and the protectionist factions at the White House. Experts in uh, in trade uh, were warning about all of this. Uh, it will open a Pandora's box, said Dan Eikenson of the Cato Institute. Uh, certainly free trade folks over there at Cato. Uh, but Canada, a, U a U.S. ally and large trading partner, said that uh, it views any trade restrictions on Canadian steel and aluminum as absolutely unacceptable. Canadian Minister of Foreign Affairs, Christian Freeland. Oh, we like her. Oh, yeah, she's she's sane. She is sane. Uh, she said any restrictions would harm workers, the, in, in, the industry, and manufacturers on both sides of the border. She said should restrictions be imposed on Canadian steel and aluminum products, Canada will take responsive measures. Hey! We're starting a trade war with Canada now. With an ally. With one of our our neighbor and allies. Well played, Mr. President. Uh, Robert Scott, senior ec economist at the left-leaning Economic Policy Institute, said the tariffs that failed to distinguish between America's trade allies versus countries like China, which the U.S. has accused of illegal trade practices, that could make it more difficult to resolve all of these trade disputes. Analysts on both the right and the left are warning that the tariffs would have unintended consequences that could hurt the very industries that Trump claims, or at least claimed during the campaign, that he wanted to protect. Cato's Eikenson said immediately the steel and aluminum uh, using industries in the U.S. are going to see their costs of production go up and they'll also have trouble competing with their foreign competition because foreign manufacturers will be able to charge lower prices than we are here in the U.S. It seems that Donald Trump really does not understand how tariffs work. He talks about slapping these tariffs on China. He, these are being slapped on the American people. These are taxes that the American people will pay, not China. MSNBC's Lawrence O'Donnell tweeted this very clear explainer on Trump's newly promised tariff policy. He said, uh, quote, things no one named Trump actually knows. One, tariffs are taxes. Two, 
U.S. tariffs are not really paid by China. They are paid by USA consumers of Chinese goods. Three, tariffs raise prices of foreign goods and also raise prices of goods made in the U.S. Four, Wall Street knows all of this. Which is why we've seen a, uh, I believe it was something like a 1,200-point drop over the past week uh, in the Dow Jones. Senator Orrin Hatch said, I don't believe tariffs work very well, and secondly, it creates a tariff war. Well, finally, a war for Donald Trump. Uh, he's been looking for yes, one. Yes, he has been. Uh, he's been itching for one. Uh, but it wasn't only the Republican uh, con- Congress members and think tanks from the right and left and Canada who slammed the move. The U.S. oil and gas industry uh, slammed Trump's plan to impose tariffs on imported steel, saying the move would kill energy jobs. Of course, they mean oil and gas jobs. The uh, the administration's already done its work in in harming uh, solar jobs <laughs> by imposing uh, tariffs there just On a few weeks panels. ago. Yeah, that's right. Um, to a much less Republican outrage, by the way, uh, for some reason or another. Go figure. Officials at the nation's top energy industry trade groups issued statements uh, urging Trump to reconsider this idea. Uh, and a source familiar with ExxonMobil, uh, ExxonMobil's investment plan said the tariffs could lead the company to cur- curtail an expansion of one of the country's biggest refineries. Andy Black, CEO of the Association of Oil Pipelines, said, quote, we are urging the administration to avoid killing U.S. jobs through a steel tariff that impacts pipelines. The U.S. energy industry, according to Reuters, relies on imported steel for drilling equipment, for pipelines, for liquefied natural gas terminals and refineries. The uh, Jack Gerard, president of the American Petroleum Institute, your friends, right? You're a part of that, aren't, aren't you, Desi? Doing? Isn't that one of your people? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Gerard said the tariff plan is, quote, inconsistent with the administration's goal of continuing the energy renaissance and building world-class infrastructure. A spokesman for the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America said the tariffs could pose a problem because the type of pipe and steel that is used to make thick-walled interstate pipelines are difficult to source domestically. The Center for Liquefied Natural Gas, again, good friends with Desi Doyen. (laughs) Uh, The trade group uh, said that uh, tariffs could have the, quote, unintended effect of endangering much-needed U.S. uh, liquid natural gas export projects, which use special steel components that are not produced in the U.S., so uh, I'm, now I'm starting to get uh, I'm starting to be in favor of these tariffs after no, hearing all I would of these tell guys you, on just the liquid natural gas. Yeah, because, of course, as we export more of our natural gas, that means that natural gas prices for U.S. consumers are going to rise because there's not a glut here anymore. But that's that's a minor benefit considering of all the, the jobs that are going to be affected by this and all the industries that are going to be affected by this. And yeah, speaking of which, well, we talked about oil. We talked about natural gas. What about coal? Remember uh, Donald Trump, who loves coal. He loves those miners. Those are his best friends. Well, the tariffs apparently would have an uncertain impact on coal miners who, in fact, make up a teeny tiny portion of Trump's base. And I say teeny tiny because more people work at Toys R Us stores around the country than actually work in the coal industry at this point. 
Uh, but Luke Popovich, a spokesman for the National Mining Association, said that if these tariffs boosted domestic steelmaking, that would be a boon for some producers of metallurgical coal that's used in steel mills. But metallurgical coal miners also export to markets in Asia, which has a bit, uh, soared over the past year those exports to Asia. And if Trump's tariffs resulted in a trade war with Asian countries, that would harm U.S. coal miners, according to Popovich. Also, U.S. farmers said that they also feared. Aren't, these are all the all the forgotten Americans that Donald Trump promised to take care of. Well, U.S. farmers. He just yeah. forgot to take care of them today. Apparently he did. Uh, he uh, he said they also feared a potential trade war, that these tariffs are very likely to accelerate a tit-for-tat approach on trade and put U.S. agricultural exports in the crosshairs, uh, according to the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. China, which imports more than a third of all U.S. soybeans, could retaliate, heaping more pain on the sector, according to the American Soybean Association. So with all of those warnings from within his own administration, from within his own party's congressional Republican delegation, from think tanks on the right and left, from his own base in the fossil fuel sector, from longtime allies like Canada threatening a trade war with us, surely our genius president has been rethinking this entire scheme since he announced it on Thursday, right? Well, if you think that, then apparently you don't know our president. On Friday, Trump insisted, quote, trade wars are good and easy to win. Early on Friday, Trump took to Twitter to defend himself after all of these attacks. He said when a country like the USA is losing many billions of dollars on trade with virtually every country it does business with. Trade wars are good and easy to win. Example, when we are down $100 billion with a certain country and they get cute, don't trade anymore. We win big. It's easy. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just can't. <laughs> now, for one thing, he seems to regard, you know, trade deficits you know, trade deficit with 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 Canada, let's say. And I don't have the numbers in front of me here, but let's say that we pay them a uh, hundred billion dollars more for stuff they make than they pay us for what we make. Well, that makes sense because we have a much larger population than Canada or Mexico or these other countries that he seems to be uh, uh, picking fights with. Yeah. It's not necessarily that they have unfair trade practices. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that, but he has apparently taken it as just one big lump definition. Trade deficit, bad, no matter uh, how who much, it is. How much uh, do we pay them versus how much do they pay us? And if we pay them more than, I mean, we consume more. So, of course, we're going to to have deficits with uh, with other countries. The details uh, matter. The nuance matters. He later he later uh, tweeted, our steel industry is in bad shape. If you don't have steel, you don't have a country, which he says about everything. If we don't have borders, you don't have a country. If you don't have steel, you don't have a country. Anyway, overseas, uh, more stinging rebukes from the president of the European Commission who uh, denounced the plan as, quote, blatant intervention to protect U.S. domestic industry. 
This is from Jean-Claude Juncker, uh, said that the EU would take retaliatory action if Trump follows through with this. So now we could have a trade war with our closest allies, Canada and the entire European Union. Brilliant. I can feel America becoming greater by the second. While not immediately offering a specific response on what it would do, the Chinese Commerce Ministry statement said the Chinese side expresses grave concern about all of this. The ministry said that Beijing had satisfied its trade obligations and appealed to Washington to settle any disputes through negotiation, which is supposed to be what uh, Donald Trump is so good at, right? Beijing faces mounting complaints from Washington, from Europe, and other trading partners that it improperly subsidizes exports and hampers access to its markets in violation of its free trade commitments. Well, maybe they do. If so, take it up with them. Don't punish the entire world. Don't punish Canada. Don't punish Europe. Don't punish the American taxpayer whose prices are going to skyrocket on all sorts of things and who are going to see jobs lost in, uh, in the event of this uh, trade war that Donald Trump think, seems to think is a great idea. All, all of this has prompted red flags now from uh, industries ranging from tool and dye makers to beer distributors to manufacturers of air conditioners. The American International Automobile Dealers Association warned it would drive up prices, quote, substantially. Wendy Cutler, a former U.S. trade official, now vice president of the Asia Society Policy Institute, said what benefits one industry will hurt another. What saves one job can jeopardize another. Steel consuming companies said that steel tariffs imposed in 2002. We've done this before. Oh, yeah. We have. I mean, Republican presidents. If you bothered to look at the. Research, if you bothered to actually do this review that obviously Donald Trump hasn't bothered, he would find out stuff like, oh, George W. Bush tried something very similar in 2002. That ended up wiping out some 200,000 U.S. jobs. Other critics uh, raise the specter of a trade war, suggesting other countries will retaliate or they will use national security as a reason to impose trade penalties of their own. Yes, Donald Trump is actually planning to use a national security provision to justify this trade war. Is that that uh, is, is correct. That, right? that is correct. He's basically uh, uh, calling on this particular provision. It's, I think, Section 232 that says, oh, if the United States is embroiled in a sudden conflict, we will need to have our steel and aluminum industries ramp up for production mm-hmm. in case these trade routes are blocked or disrupted. So they're using that as their national security reasoning behind this. So it's um, a national security threat. Yeah, and so Victoria Guida of, of Politico, she's an economics reporter, she said, the U.S. spent years and considerable energy trying to convince China and others not to use national security as a cover for industrial policy. <laughs> and so she says this decision will echo throughout the global trading system for a long time. And not only that, apparently Defense Secretary Jim Mattis... To be clear, our own defense secretary, Donald Trump's own defense secretary, Jim Mattis, said in a memo to Donald Trump's own Commerce Department, led by Wilbur Ross, who supports these tariffs, 
Defense Secretary Mattis said that U.S. military requirements for steel and aluminum represent about 3% of U.S. production and that the department was, quote, concerned about the negative impact on our key allies of any tariff. So if we're going to use the uh, play the national security card as uh, the reason why we have to do this, maybe we ought to listen to the defense secretary who says, hey, yeah, um, we're going to alienate our key allies. And that's as much or more of a national security concern as anything else. Other Republicans continued to speak out on Friday in Congress. They were plainly upset. Ben Sass of uh of, of Nebraska, the senator said uh, the president is proposing a massive tax increase on American families. Protectionism is weak. You'd expect a policy this bad from a leftist administration, <laughs> not a supposedly Republican one. So he's playing the leftist card there. Yeah, now. you know, Boy. and he's a historian, supposedly by education. So I guess he just forgot the part about it being Republican administrations that have done this before. Yeah, yeah apparently so. Uh, he said uh, another one of his tweets, uh, so much losing. <laughs> talking about all of this, uh, Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas, who's chair of the uh, Senate Ag uh, Agriculture Committee, he said, every time you do this, you get a retaliation and agriculture is the number one target. So so this is all going very well. Uh, I can't wait to see what the next week will bring. Uh, one thing I can tell you that it will bring is the first midterm primary elections of the year. That's right. In Texas, Desi's old home state. Yep. And we've got some encouraging news on that front, at least, and much more next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. I love this song. This is uh, this is my favorite part coming up here. Keep going there. We made him president. Yeah, maybe. Donald Trump maybe. Is the That's the uh, closing credits from uh, Showtime's Our Cartoon President, uh, produced by, executive produced by uh, Stephen Colbert, actually, yes. right? Those are the closing credits. Uh, hysteria, uh, hilarious closing tune there. Oh, um, yes. And, and pretty funny show, too. I recommend it if you happen to get uh, Showtime. Uh, not as funny, however, as the president show, in my opinion, over on Cartoon Set. Uh, Comedy Central. Thank you. Comedy Central with uh, the guy who I can never. Do you know how to say his name? The guy who An plays Trump? No, I don't. Anthony 
Uh, Tamanik, I think, is his name. It's hilarious. I think they're between seasons. I hope it comes back because it's not just hilarious. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it's a fascinating satire and commentary, a broader yes. commentary on, you know, all of the United States. Keep an eye out for it, or uh, yeah, I'm sure you can get it on uh, on demand or something. Uh, that's The President Show from uh, Comedy Central. Uh, anyway, just that song has been in my head, those closing credits. So thanks for uh, making it stay there, Desi Doyen, for the next, <laughs> I don't know how many days. All right. A, um, uh, uh, time to do something about Donald Trump, uh, at least in Texas. But let me start here. A new tracking poll from the Kaiser Family Foundation finds the highest ever public approval rating for the Affordable Care Act. What do you know? Otherwise known as Obamacare, the highest rating ever since the organization began asking the questions about it in 2010, the year that uh, Obamacare was adopted. According to the survey, 54% of the public now view the embattled law favorably. 42% are still against it, un- hold an unfavorable view, I should say. Because we don't know if they're actually against it. A lot of people who uh, don't care for the Affordable Care Act is only because they would like even more uh, They want it to be better payer. improved, right, yes, exactly. expanded. The major shift, however, in public approval for the ACA uh, has come since Donald Trump took office and has been trying to chip away at the law. Uh, the biggest change has mostly been driven by independents, or at least people who self-identify as independents, 55% of whom now currently approve of Obamacare. Furthermore, the survey found that health care is a top issue for voters as they head into the 2018 midterm elections, particularly the rising cost of health care. Among registered voters in battleground states, far more people said that they wanted to hear candidates talk about health care costs more than further attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act. The findings also uh, are likely to motivate the health care advocacy groups who are planning to target Republican lawmakers in 2018 for their vote to repeal the ACA's mandate, which is set to raise health insurance premiums. Oh, if they don't like the way prices have gone up now, just wait until the uh, until the uh, tax mandate is gone. It is gone. Americans don't know that yet, and that has not yet been factored into the cost of health care. In any event, um, that's set to raise premiums nearly 20 percent per year. So just wait. Uh, The Trump administration and Republicans in Congress have repeatedly proposed deep cuts at the same time to Medicaid. But a whopping 74 percent of Americans, according to Kaiser Family Foundation, now hold a favorable view of Medicaid. That includes 40 percent who have a very favorable view of Medicaid, according to the survey. A majority of people across party lines say that the Medicaid program is, quote, working well for most low income people. However, as GOP controlled states grapple with whether or not to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, the Kaiser poll found uh, broad support for doing so in their survey. There are just 18 states now that have not yet expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, In those states, 56 percent of all residents and nearly 40 percent of Republicans support expanding Medicaid. 
One of those Republican-run states which has refused to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, even though 90 percent of the costs of that uh, of Medicaid, uh, the Medicaid expansion would be covered by the federal government. One of those states, the great state of Texas, which is also home to the largest number of uninsured Americans of any state in the country. Because everything is bigger in Texas, <laughs> I guess. They are number one. Some five million Texans are shamefully and unnecessarily uninsured thanks to the state's uh, GOP elected officials who have continued for years to leave those five million Texas residents without an option for affordable health insurance. Yeah, it's uh, not just bigger in Texas. The cruelty is bigger yes, in Texas. Cruelty. Even the cruelty is greater in Texas. Sad to say. But uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that that could begin to change starting this Tuesday when Texas will become the first state in the union to hold their primary elections for the 2018 midterms. And uh, it seems that voters are chomping at the bit for this. Uh, there are encouraging signs regarding voter enthusiasm for that election. Michael McDonald uh, cited these numbers as of Thursday night. Some kind of amazing numbers for early voting. OK, back in 2014, which would be the last uh, midterm election that we had in Texas, 156,000, a little bit over 156,000 voters voted early in 2014, the last midterm uh, year. Uh, and that so that was 2014. In 2016, which is, was a presidential election year, uh, in those primaries, almost 300,000 uh, voted early in 2016. Actually, 281,000 Texans voted early in the presidential primaries in 2016. In 2018, as of Thursday, this doesn't count the final day on Friday, but as of uh, Thursday in 2018, this year before the primaries, 312,000 Texans have voted early. So early voting is already, uh, this year, 2018, has already exceeded the totals of early voting in 2016, a presidential year. A presidential year, year. Wow. exactly. It was, uh, it was twice those numbers uh, were more than uh, twice the number of the primary early primary voters in 2014 and uh, about 35,000, not even counting the final day, 35,000 more uh, voters than uh, in the in the presidential election for early voting in Texas. Now, that, of course, that doesn't mean we don't know how they're going to vote. We don't know that that is necessarily good for Democrats, although given all of the special elections we have seen over the past year and this apparent blue wave, that's probably a lot of voting. Exactly. But, but at least the engagement, the voter turnout is up and I'm always in favor of more voter turnout. For some reason. I don't know why. For <laughs> All of a sudden they want to vote this year. Imagine that. They can't wait to vote this year. Now, we've seen in the past. Uh, I know I remember back in uh, it was 2016, the presidential election. Uh, there was a big turnout, early voting turnout, for example, in states like Georgia, which Democrats saw as an encouraging sign. They hope to finally be able to flip uh, the state of Georgia from red to blue. I would suggest 
that's unlikely to happen until they finally uh, get a verifiable voting system in the state of Georgia, as opposed to the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen systems they currently use. They are moving towards what uh, Georgia officials are calling a paper ballot system deceptively. They are passing legislation to finally fund uh, new voting machines in the state of Georgia to replace the 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreens that they have been using there for some 14 years. However, they appear to be moving to what is called a ballot marking device system where the computer uh, fills in your ballot for you on a piece of paper and then that piece of paper is uh, scanned by another device. It is equally 100% unverifiable as these touchscreen systems are. As a matter of fact, I think these BMDs they're looking at will actually use a touchscreen. So the only difference is they will print out a paper ballot which may or may not reflect the voters' intent. We won't know. We can't know after an election. And as a matter of fact, some of these Horrible systems. I mean, you know, they're going from bad to equally bad, essentially. Some of these horrible systems, they'll say, well, the voter can verify what the computer prints out. Well, I promise you that uh, I can fool a voter with my uh, computer printout. I can fool a voter into making them think that it says on the page what it is they voted for. Uh, I've had my own votes uh, flipped by computer printouts here in uh, here in Los Angeles. You can go to bradblog.com. You can read about what happened to me during the 2008 primary when four out of 12 of my votes were misprinted by the computer. Luckily, I caught it. I noticed it. You knew what to look for. I wasn't afraid to, uh, you know, go uh, explain this to election officials, ask for a new ballot. Uh, to fill it out by hand instead of by the computer. They ended up, um, you know, sequestering that machine. They did a big study. They found out it wasn't my fault. It was the computer's fault. Um, And so, uh, and the other thing is, by the way, that some of these systems, you can verify what they print out before you scan your ballot, but the scanners don't even read what is printed out. So you may see a vote for candidate X, but the scanners don't read that. They read a barcode that is not human readable. That is right now what Georgia is trying to push through to replace their previous crappy systems. They're hoping to spend millions of dollars on even more crappy systems that they can say are brand new and have a paper ballot. Deceptively, um, Uh, So uh, there's a fight right now in the uh, Georgia state legislature about this. If you happen to live in Georgia, let your elected officials know you want a hand-marked paper ballot. We can fight about how to count it later, whether it's counted by hand or by op scanner. But unless we have a hand-marked paper ballot, we don't have a democracy. Or as Donald Trump would say, we don't have a country anymore. (laughs) Quick break, and we're back with... The uh, Green News Report and, uh, oh, one more story about which I was right, if we have time. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. 
We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Yeah, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, you have also been right about uh, environmental issues and about climate change for many, many years when people were poo-pooing what you had to say. It's true. And I want to get to our Green News report in one moment, but uh, shock uh, guy, I think it's a guy, over on Twitter uh, tweeted, for over a decade, people said that the Bradblog... That's me. And uh, Bev Harris of Black Box Voting were, quote, conspiracy theorists because their hair was always on fire about these voting machines. They were mostly ignored by lawmakers and the media. Now we know they got it exactly right, yet we still do nothing. Yep. Thank you, Shock. Thank you for noticing. Uh, I've got one other uh, story that uh, people were poo-pooing me about being right about we'll hit that right after our latest green news report Pruitt believes god commands us to take care of the environment and that also means to use what he has provided epa administrator scott pruitt uses the bible to justify exploitation of natural resources but, uh, but i need you also to be worried about human health at the same time pruitt moves to eliminate office that studies the impacts of chemicals on children a new study finds communities of color disproportionately bear the burden of pollution ExxonMobil withdraws from massive deal with Russia, plus good news and bad news for the environment in the courts. All of that good news and bad news straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Arming 20% of them, as Mr. Trump suggested Thursday, would mean more than 700,000 people with guns in schools. It's no wonder the NRA likes this solution. It involves buying hundreds of thousands of guns, and that's their solution to everything. They probably deal with climate change by pointing a Glock at the ocean and daring that mother f- to rise. <laughs> and, and it's worth noting. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen. Sad news? Russia and ExxonMobil are breaking up? Yeah, it sure does look like it. ExxonMobil announced Wednesday it is formally withdrawing from a massive joint venture with Russia's state-owned oil company Rosneft because of international sanctions that have halted projects to develop Russia's untapped oil reserves. The deal was signed by former Exxon CEO and current U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Last year, the Treasury Department fined Exxon $2 million for 
for violating the sanctions with that contract. Bloomberg News reports that Exxon will post an after-tax loss of $200 million as a result, but that losing access to Russia's vast reserves is likely to harm Exxon's long-term efforts to increase production. So sad. Meanwhile, in an interview with the Christian Broadcasting Network, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt said that he believes God wants humans to exploit the planet's natural resources and wants him to deregulate the fossil fuel industry. <laughs> of course he does. The biblical worldview with respect to these, these issues is that we have a responsibility to, to manage and cultivate, harvest mm-hmm. uh, the natural resources that we've been blessed with. Uh, to, to, to truly bless our fellow mankind. Good God. But Pruitt, of course, focuses only on fossil fuels and ignores the impacts in pollution, environmental destruction, and climate change, and ignores the free and clean natural resources called the sun and the wind that are also part of creation. Yet yeah, why isn't Scott Pruitt harvesting those? It's the polar opposite of the stewardship philosophy of Pope Francis. In an interview with the New Republic, theology professor Jamie Schaefer of Marquette University said Pruitt's fringe beliefs are, quote, not a reflection based on biblical scholars' findings. Well, knock me over with a feather. And Pruitt's interpretation of the Bible doesn't appear to include protecting actual people. Pruitt has spent the last year rolling back pollution standards on behalf of polluting industries. This week, the EPA's own scientists have released a new study showing that in 46 U.S. states, minority and low-income communities bear the highest burden of air pollution in the nation, far more than white communities, and are disproportionately affected, leading to increased risks of asthma, heart disease, cancer, and other illnesses. But that's not all the Scott Pruitt news. He also proposed this week shutting down the EPA's research arm dedicated to studying the impacts of chemicals on children's health. Mm. In recent years, research grants funded by the National Center for Environmental Research have discovered arsenic in infant rice formulas and identified neurological effects from flame retardants and toxic pesticides. But Pruitt is proposing to eliminate that office to cut costs. Just like the Bible commands. Finally, some good news and some bad news for the environment in the courts. First, the bad news. The federal judge that Donald Trump accused of bias for ruling against him and his defunct Trump University this week cleared a major obstacle for Trump's controversial border wall with Mexico. U.S. District Judge Gonzalo Curiel ruled this week that the administration does have the legal authority to waive major environmental laws like the Endangered Species Act and the Clean Air and Clean Water Act to expedite the wall's construction. And the good news? Well, a different federal judge has rejected the Trump Interior Department's efforts to delay the waste reduction rule that required the oil and gas industry to reduce harmful emissions of methane from operations on the public's lands and pay royalties. So... There's that. At least there's that. For much more on that and all of the other stories we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report.
Yeah, that's where we are. Uh, that is where we are. Uh, Desi, uh, we're, we've, we've got uh, actually some horrible... Uh, Climate developments on uh, on both coasts. Yeah, some, uh, some recent severely here. extreme weather going on with a northeaster, um, and folks in Boston are dealing with record flooding from that nor'easter. Yep. Um, and just wanted to note for the record that 13 of the top 20 worst floods in Boston history, 13 of them have all happened since the year 2000 including one just last month. Total coincidence. We have no idea why that is. Uh, Nothing the we can Bible, do about it. Uh, says whatever Scott Pruitt says. Yeah, he's got uh, no responsibility. Also out here in uh, in California, Southern California, once again, mandatory evacuations uh, due to uh, concerns of mud, fly, mud mudslides in the same area where, what was it, 17, I believe, were killed just a month ago right. in and, Montecito. Yeah, in areas that had had record wildfires that uh, created these, these dangerous burn areas that are vulnerable now to mudslides. But hey, let's not do anything about any of that. Let's exploit it all, just like the Bible says. Use it all up. For profit. Because that's what the Bible's about. No matter how many people and children uh, are harmed. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, very quickly, uh, I want to thank uh, listener Dave R. for his email heads up on this. Uh, sent to me via bradcast at bradblog.com, where you can email me as well. In a policy shift, the American Cancer Society late last week endorsed e-cigarettes as a smoking secession aid. Oh. Yeah. According to a position statement posted by the American Cancer Society, some smokers, despite firm clinician advice, will not attempt to quit smoking cigarettes and will not use FDA-approved cessation medications. These individuals should be encouraged to switch to the least harmful form of tobacco product possible. Switching to the exclusive use of e-cigarettes is preferable to continuing to smoke combustible products. And by the way, they call it a tobacco product. It's not really e-cigarettes, vaping, not really a tobacco product. It's a nicotine product. It's a nicotine product. Like the <clears throat> prescription nicotine that you can get from your from Your, your patches, your yes. gums, your, also uh, your inhalers, products. exactly. Uh, so, uh, really, you don't say. How long have we been saying that on this show that uh, e-cigarettes, vaping, that you should, if you're a smoker, you should move away, uh, find a good vaping product to save your life? Uh, this is based on actual evidence from scientific reports, not uh, not the propaganda that a lot of the folks, frankly, I'm sorry to say, on the left, Democrats are putting out there about vaping. Uh, so it's evidence from scientific reports, not to mention, of course, my own totally non-empirical uh, evidence uh, to prove that vaping was the only thing that changed my own years-long uh, like two-pack-a-day habit, uh, smoking habit, literally yeah. overnight. Yes, I can attest to that. And, uh, well, so this long overdue statement from the American Cancer Society emphasized that giving up combustible cigarettes is the single most important thing that a smoker can do to improve their health. Richard Wender, a doctor uh, from and, and the ACES's uh, chief cancer control officer, said optimally smokers w who want to quit will see their doctor and take advantage of therapies that are proven to be successful for smoking cessation. But of course, my doctor was delighted when I started vaping. And if one bothers to read the actual studies, in fact, vaping is proven to be successful for quitting smoking and often more so than the big pharma's uh, billion-dollar nicotine industry sales you talked about there, Des, the yep. high-priced 
nicotine delivery systems like patches and gums uh, or the physically debilitating drug that my doctor gave me at one point uh, tried to prescribe me to help me quit. Side effects. Yeah. Uh, But uh, vaping, that did the trick. This is about harm reduction. Wender said, we recognize that people quit smoking in many different ways, and most don't go to a doctor to buy nicotine patches as much as we would like them to. Sure, because, you know, they make money. Uh, If a smoker who wants to quit chooses to try e-cigarettes to see if they will help, we support that effort. Cool. Then please tell politicians, especially the Democratic politicians, to stop making it more difficult for people to vape. And to buy vaping products that will save their life. Stop running these uh, propaganda uh, commercials on TV about it. In, in, uh, w- which just serves to keep people smoking more. In a report summarizing the available evidence on e-cigarette safety published last month, the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine concluded that replacing combustible cigarettes with e-cigarettes reduces exposure to many toxicants and carcinogens. Now, as to uh, young people uh, vaping instead of smoking, uh, Wender, the uh, the doctor there from the American Cancer Society, acknowledged the popularity of, uh, of vapes, uh, e-cigs among teens, and that it coincides with record low use of dangerous combustible cigarettes. He says at the population level, we have seen an overwhelming shift away from smoking cigarettes and towards vaping among the younger age groups. He says smoking levels among adults and youth are at an all time low and we need to be very careful to avoid messaging and policies that end up driving adults and young people back to smoking. You know, policies like making it harder to vape in public, policies like charging huge taxes, uh, on on uh, the, the juice that is used and on the, the, the devices that are used. That is insane. You are killing people. Democrats, when you do this, stop it. Nancy Rigotti, the uh, doctor from the Massachusetts General Hospital, she served on the National Academies of Sciences uh, committee that evaluated the scientific evidence regarding e-cigarette safety. She told MedPage today that it is now clear that e-cigarettes are less harmful than continuing to smoke combustible cigarettes, just as we have been saying on this program for quite some time as we try to save people's lives. Again, harm reduction. All right, we got to get out. Thanks to our producer, uh, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spe- uh, spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, it is greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can uh, tweet me if you like. I am the Brad Blog. And Larry F. Uh, stop by bradblog.com slash donate to say happy birthday and congratulations. I think he was talking to you, Des, I hope your so. recent birthday. Thank you. Says as a semi-retired senior who has enjoyed your show gratuitously since Air America. Gratuitously? It's finally time to cough up a few bucks to say thanks. Don't stop the snarky comments. <laughs> there you go, Des. Well, thank you so much for listening. And I wouldn't stop them even if I could. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thanks for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.